0: Well, you know that we've been going since October talking about what a healthy church is and, and you know what we saw in Romans 12, and I always remind you, look on the back of your notes, you'll see a summary of that healthy church, what a healthy church is. And then well, one of the things we talked about what a healthy church is, that a healthy church is a community of disciples. If you're part of the church, you are a disciple. Um, it's not an optional thing. It's something that unfortunately, People had been told um, for a long time that discipleship is for serious Christians. I don't know what it means to not be a serious Christian. How can you say, I've committed my life, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and not be serious about that? I don't, I don't get that, but nevertheless, that was, that's the thought that a lot of people have. Discipleship is optional, it's not optional to be part of the church, we are a community of disciples. And one of the ways that uh, this is expressed is not in the, just that we learn, because remember, when I talk about discipleship, I'm not just talking about knowledge, because I don't think that's what the Bible says a disciple is. A disciple is certainly a student, and certainly one who acquires knowledge, but that knowledge is rather pointless if it's just knowledge. And so the knowledge has to meet the spirit, the holy spirit in our lives and if you're a christian you have the holy spirit in your life so knowledge meets spirit they come together and spirit does something with that knowledge that helps us become more like christ and doesn't just help you become more like christ or me become more like christ no it helps us as a church be more like christ that's it it's what a healthy church is it's what healthy churches um, should strive to be, and we're not, we're not perfect. We're not trying to be perfect. I mean, in a way we're trying to be perfect, but but we're trying to be healthy. And one of the ways that this is seen is in how we love one another, and how we treat one another. I'm not even talking about people outside, I'm talking about people right here. How do we love and treat one another? Do we treat one another as though they are people in, on a journey of becoming more like Christ? That they're, 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 they're treasured by God as his children? Or do we treat them like annoyances or people that get in the way of what I wanna do or inconvenience my life? How we love and treat one another. I don't know if I've used this example here, but I'm gonna Use it again. Um, And I've said this before, before I became pastor, I used to say it when I used to teach a lot, that if we did a a survey, we decided we would go into the neighborhoods, maybe within a two to three mile radius of this church, and we went door to door, and we did a survey, just a one-word, one-question survey. And the one-question survey is this. When you hear the, word, the name Wileye Baptist Church, what's one word, the first word that comes to mind? Don't have to say it out loud, but think about that. If we did that, what do you think that word would be? For some people, it might be like, who, what, huh? Right, that's the first word for a lot of people, which tells us something. Tells us somehow people don't even know who we are or that we're here. Or they might even mistake us. Oh, you guys are that, that church down by the freeway, right? Uh, nope, we're the one a couple blocks from the freeway. What would that word be? Not sure what that word would be. Um, kind of don't want to find out, kind of scared. But somewhere on the list you would hope and you would love for it to be near the top of the list that the one word that would come out is love loving compassionate caring something like that some word related to that because if we're becoming more like Christ that needs to become more and more evident in our lives all the time and it certainly should be the mark of us as a church When people think of this church, that should be a dominant word that comes out. And so for me, it's not me to judge you or you to judge each other. It's for us just to think about that. Is that what the world around us would say about us as a church? If it's true and somehow we're keeping it a secret, we need to figure out how to not make it a secret. Okay. because it's not supposed to be a secret. Remember, it is through healthy churches, it is through churches being the body of Christ, loving each other in this supernatural way. It is through that that the kingdom is going to be advanced, that the gospel is going to be out there, that the evidence that God is who he says he is and has done what he said he, he did through Jesus Christ is is this community of faith? If that's his plan and we're keeping it a secret, it's a problem. That's why Jesus says, you know, who gets a lamp and puts a bushel on it? That would be like, okay, yeah, we're this awesome, loving community of disciples, but we like to keep it secret. That's what he means by the city on the hill. He's saying, I'm making you this way so that the world can see. So that something, something can happen in them where they, they, they are either going to be incredibly attracted to it or incredibly repulsed by it. Don't hide it. So if we're really that way and nobody knows, we got to figure out how to help people know that. You know, again, I, I'm toying with the idea of the, of the shirt, the T-shirt, and it'll say, Supernatural Lovers, y Baptist Church. Would you guys wear that? Yeah, most of you are like, no, I don't think so. But somehow we have to let people know. But what if the other is true? What if the reason people don't think of love and compassion when they think of this church is because it's really not a mark of this church? It's not that strong in this church. That's a different problem. It's not for me to say, it's for you to think about. It's for you to consider, okay, what do we do? And that's just step one, by the way. Step one is getting it right in our own house. We've been talking through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has brought up two or three times this same idea, and we're going to talk about it again today. And if he's bringing it up two or three times, he's saying it's really important. It's kind of the second level stuff. You see, the world needs to see God's love it doesn't just need to hear about God's love. The world doesn't just need to hear that, 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 that God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whosoever believe would not perish but have everlasting life. They need to hear that, but they don't just need to hear that. They need to see God's love in action. And I'm not just talking about inaction in individual lives. Every philosophy... Every religion, even atheist, atheistic belief, even humanism can produce one good person. And you can look, if you're saying like, oh, I'm going to be a good person, and and when people see my goodness, uh, they'll know it's because of Jesus. No, they won't. Because there's lots of people out there who do good things. And they believe what they believe. They need to see God's love in action among his people. They need to see the way that we love each other. And then how we love the world around us is different. Because even though every one of these religions and philosophies and beliefs or non-beliefs can produce individuals who are good, none of them can produce Healthy communities. You might go, well, I know this group was, I can almost guarantee it wasn't healthy. Might have had a cult leader or something like that going on. But it wasn't healthy. Part of God's plan, he knows how hard that is. He knows that that's impossible for us to be a healthy community of disciples on our own. It is a clear demonstration of his power when that happens. And the evidence is when God's love is in action and the world needs to see it. So, we look at Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. And Jesus here says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what I'm about to tell you, um, this kind of stuff, we've talked about it before, but I haven't given you the warning. Um, when I took statistics in college, our, my professor, he gave us a warning. He said, don't read the last chapter. He said, don't read the last chapter. Wait until we get there. And the reason is, is because from his experience, he found out that if people flipped to the back of the statistics book and they read the last chapter, they would go, this is crazy. There's no way I can ever do this or ever understand this. And he was saying, no, just walk with me from the beginning to the end, and by the time you get there, it'll be okay. Well, if you're... you're, Kind of a young Christian or if you not really a Christian at all this is kind of like not the end of the book but it's pretty deep into the book it's not easy stuff just warning you because what Jesus is saying is something that he is gonna live out for us and we're gonna see what happens But what we need to understand is he's saying, love your enemies. Love your enemies. We're having a hard enough time just loving our friends. We're having a hard enough time just being a community of faith. And now he's saying, here's the next level stuff. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And the reason is, is because when we love our enemies, this is when we are most like God. It's great when we're loving each other, but when we're loving our enemies, a couple things happen. First of all, it's not what the world does. It shows how different God's love is. And second of all, it gets attention. When Jesus is saying, don't hide your love, he is saying, don't hide the love you have among one another. But he's also saying, you need to take that love to the hardest places, to the hardest people to love, because that's how the light is going to shine the brightest. That's how it's going to be up on the hill. If you're just going to go and love your neighbors and love your friends, which you should do, by the way, Jesus is in no way saying, love your enemies, hate your neighbors, okay, in case somebody's confused. But he's saying if you just love your neighbors, if you just love your family, Okay, the light's shining, but it's not on the hill. You want to put it on the hill? Love your enemies. You want to take that bushel off? Love in the place that gets attention. And Jesus says something very unusual in verse 45. He says, so that you may be sons of your father. Now, Jesus is not saying that if you love... There's cause and effect. You love, and then you will become sons of your father. Instead, he's talking about this principle that we find in the Bible, and we actually find it in nature, and that is that like begets like. What does that mean? It means, like, if you have a, a dog, female dog, male dog, and female dog is pregnant what is going to come out of the female dog is puppies. So like begets like. You're not going to expect to see monkeys coming out of the dog, right? That would be weird, odd. Certainly go against what we know nature does. If you plant a apple tree in your yard and I come over and say, hey, uh, nice apple tree. And you go, yep, I can't wait till the oranges start growing. Okay, maybe you've been hit in the head too many times. Maybe you're getting a little old, but that's really not the principle we know. An apple tree produces apples. Like begets like. He says, you may be sons of your father. If your father... Is really your father. The Jewish people he's talking to had a concept of God being their father, but it was more like he was the guy who created everything. So he's kind of like father that way. But Jesus is talking about father in a different way. And he's saying, if you're sons of your father, like begets like. And let me tell you something about your father. Your father loves. If you're truly. From your father, you will love too. And your father loves because, as John will tell us later on in 1 John chapter 4, he loves because he is love. It is part of his very nature to love. And he even loves his enemies. In Romans chapter 5, it says, that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But if you look at that whole passage, those scriptures around that that passage in chapter 5, it'll talk about how we were helpless. It'll talk about how we were ungodly. And it'll talk about how we were enemies. And he still died for us. God loves his enemies. If we're going to be like the Father, in other words, sons of the Father, daughters of the Father, then we'll love, even our enemies. And remember the high standard Jesus puts upon that. And we're going, to be, we're going to be remembering this on Good Friday, and I want to invite you all to come to our Good Friday service. If that's not something that you usually do, make it a point to be here. It is, the Easter season should be as much or more focused on by Christians than Christmas. But unfortunately, sometimes, you know, maybe Easter Sunday, but we kind of leave out the other things, Palm Sunday, Good Friday. We don't even know what Maundy Thursday is. But on the cross, if you remember on the cross, and I've said this before, and I think it's bear saying again and again and again that Jesus is not just forgiving his enemies. He's not just loving his enemies, he's forgiving and loving them as they are killing him, as they are mocking him. Even if we could fathom forgiving our enemies, it would be after the fact. It might be before going, okay, I know what they're gonna do, I forgive them. It could be after, okay, I hate what they did, but I forgive them. But during, when, when they're mocking you, when they're hurting you, when they're bringing pain, and what pain does is pain makes us focus on ourselves, it turns everything inward. And at that moment when Jesus would have been perfectly justified to be totally concerned about his own pain, he loves his enemies. He forgives them. It's incredible. But it's weird. It's weird that we as Christians understand that, We believe this is what happened, and we believe that when we become Christians, we're made new, we're a new creation, we have the Holy Spirit, but we think like, but, you know, that's too much. I'm really glad, Jesus, that you did that for me, and I'm really glad that you gave me the capabilities of doing it, but I really don't want to. I want to stick to just you know, loving my friends better and loving my family better, and, and if I have to, you know, loving my fellow church members better. No. And look what it says in verse forty. It says, He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What is he saying there? Jesus is saying he treats his enemies just like he treats his friends. We might say, oh, I, I, okay, I get it. I'm going to love my enemies. And, and what I mean by that is, I'm not going to try to kill them. I'm not going to try to uh, win an argument with them. I'm just going to let them be. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you are going to treat your enemies like they're your friends. He says, the just, yeah. Let the sun shine on them, let the rain fall. Good for them. The good, same thing. But I'll also do it for the evil, and I'll also do it for the unjust. If you think that sounds crazy, if you think that sounds radical, then you're right. It is. He treats them like he would treat his friends. He treats the evil like he would treat the good. Later on, Paul's going to say, in, in Romans 12, he's going to say, you need to bless your enemies. And we've talked about what bless means. Bless means is that you want God to, to do whatever he needs to do to, to allow the, the, your enemies to, to be successful. You want them to be blessed. It's crazy. You see, love, your love for someone else shouldn't be conditional upon how good you think they are or how lazy you think they are or how helpful you think they are. If you have the father's love, if you're a child of your father, you love unconditionally, that's what it means you love without condition. You don't love just because, you know, somebody fits in within some range of acceptance. You love without condition. But as I've said before, love is, doesn't always, it's not always expressed the same. There's, There's a difference, and people always forget this difference, and I sometimes do that there is a difference between love and the expressions of love. As Christians, you should never think that love is a choice. If you truly have been born again, if you truly have God's love in you, if you truly have the Spirit, it is your nature. You love because it's who you are. It's not a choice to love. If it is still a choice to love or to hate or to to be indifferent, if that's still a choice for you, you need to ask, have I really been made new? It's not a choice whether to love, but it is a choice in terms of how to love, how to express that love. What's the best way in this situation with these people to show love? And not just these people, but but all people. Because one of the hard, impossible things about loving is that we're not allowed to just love one person. Some people think, oh, uh, they use this argument, we should love our enemies. Okay? So they love their enemies and they forget about everybody else. No. You have to love everybody. It's not just love your enemies and ignore everybody else. That's... That's part of the justification people have, like, oh, these poor victims, let's love these victims. Yes, you have to love the victims, but you have to love everybody else. And other people are like, oh, we should love the criminals because, you know, God says forgive and love enemies, and and we should love the criminals. Yes, we love the criminals, but we forget the victims. No, you have to love them all. How we express the love that's the challenge. That's where it's going to change. Sometimes it's going to mean action. Sometimes it's going to mean no action. Sometimes it's going to mean pray for somebody. Sometimes it's going to mean a gentle, kind word. And sometimes it's going to be in-your-face tough. But all the time, it's motivated by love. All the time. You see, when we're like God... When we love like God, the world can see God. Love is so important to our testimony. But we've made all these exceptions. We've, we've said like, oh yeah, but, 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 but. There's no exceptions. Love your enemies. Love them like Jesus loved his enemies he was willing to die for them. In fact, he was more than willing, he did it. He was willing to forgive them, but he was more than willing, he forgave them. He was willing to bless them, but he was more than willing, he blessed them. But again, what he says in verse 43, You know, you've heard it said, "You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy." Again, the thing we need to understand is that Jesus is saying, he's not saying love your enemies and not your neighbors. He's saying, yeah, you gotta love your neighbors too. You gotta love your family and friends too. I think sometimes, I think sometimes, what the community of faith should be, it's kind of like, like when you maybe when you first learn to ride a bike. Now some of you in the old days might not have had these, but we had these, we just didn't know what they were for. Okay, I didn't realize what training wheels were for actually worked until I had kids. And even after the first kid or two and a few concussions and things like that, I realized the training wheels were there to help, right? And so if you ever notice on a bike, the training wheels, you can adjust them higher and lower. You know why? Because when the child is first first going, you have them at the same level as the other wheels. The reason they're called training wheels is not they ride around for a while, and then you take them off. It's that you slowly, sometimes telling the kid, sometimes not, you raise the wheel slowly over time. So pretty soon, the bike tire is on the ground. The training wheels are three, four inches off. So the kid can balance. But if they make a mistake, it catches them right? So if you didn't know what training wheels were for, that's what they're for. I sometimes think that's how the church should be. We should be a community of love, grace, and forgiveness. It's a place where, where we can put into practice the expressions of love to each other, and sometimes we're going to get it horribly wrong. But like training wheels, grace and forgiveness catches us. And I don't go, just because you got that wrong, oh, I'm leaving you, or I don't want to be around you. It's, no, if, 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 my, if I'm marked by grace and forgiveness and my community is marked, marked by grace and forgiveness, we come around and we help that person. We give people the opportunity to express love to one another, people that they, they disagree with, people that offend them. All that Jesus is saying is not, don't love your neighbors, don't love um, you know, your friends and family. He's just saying... That's not exceptional in a way, because even the Gentiles do that. Even the people who aren't Christians do that. They love their families, they love their friends. It's good. You need to do it. And in a way, it helps us practice on each other. But if you really want to put that light on a hill, love your enemies. Jesus is on a cross. The light of the world is on a hill. And the world looks and the world sees. I think we, we are called to do the same. And we need the practice. You see, what hope do you have to give genuine love to people that want to hurt you and kill you and shut you down, what hope do you have of loving them if you can't love each other right here? If you can't forgive one another right here? If you can't reconcile with other people who supposedly are all on the same team? I don't know. And then we have this last verse. Oh, sometimes you just wish Jesus would have stopped in verse 47. But then he says verse 48. He didn't know it was verse 48. Well, maybe he knew that later on people would put it. But at the time, they didn't have verse numbers. And he concludes the thought by saying, you therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Disciples. You want to be a disciple You work toward loving everyone, expressing love to everyone perfectly at all times. Understand what I'm saying there. Loving everyone, unfortunately, in our world, we have mistaken love for making people happy. That is not what love is. Love is wanting the best for someone, even if it doesn't make them happy. So many parents make the mistake of thinking they're loving their children by keeping their children happy. And so, hey, early and earlier age, kids gets a smartphone, kid gets a handheld you know, entertainment device. Early and earlier, they get a computer and a TV or whatever else in their room because it's all about keeping them happy. This, when you love people, it's not about pleasing your enemies. It's not about pleasing your friends. It's not about pleasing your, your family. It's about loving them. And if we're Christians and we love people and we want the best for them, then we want to do all we can to help them know Jesus the way we know Jesus and to help them grow and know grace and forgiveness the way we know grace and forgiveness. We want them to be able to 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 grow to the point where they can show grace and forgiveness to others, where reconciliation becomes the hallmark of their relationships, not bitterness and, and anger and resentment. We want the best for them. So it's not just about making people happy. In fact, I don't think it's about making people happy at all. I think these things will make them happier in the long run but it's about loving people. And you might go, that's a high standard. You just said we're going to get it wrong. We're going to express love wrong sometimes. Sometimes we're going to misread a situation. Sometimes we're going to make you know, some mistake where, where we, we knew the right thing to do, but we just didn't do it well. Yeah, it's going to happen. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. When he says be perfect, like your father is perfect, what he's saying is, whether you get it right or wrong, always do it from unconditional love. Everything you do is from unconditional love. Everything you do is from this supernatural love that only comes from God, even if you get it wrong. The motivation is always the same. Yes, we need to know God's word. Because if we know God's word, we're less likely to get it wrong. Unfortunately, there's a lot of well-meaning people out there that go, okay, I'm gonna be motivated by God's love. And God you know, loved everybody, accepted everybody, but I'm not gonna really look at the word too much. Well-meaning, well-meaning. But how can you really know how to love if you haven't studied the foremost authority on loving. If you haven't really studied it, if you haven't really understand it, you just have a general concept of love, and so you okay, I got it, I'm gonna go love. No. It's not gonna work. It's like if, if uh, you know, you guys know I'm a doctor, right? So, you know, if I just said, you know, I have a general idea of heart surgery so you know I'm a doctor I've got a general idea of heart surgery of course my doctorate's in theology but I'm still a doctor general idea of surgery come on over I got I got a big table outside take care of it you guys are going like you're nuts you're crazy no way and yet there's a lot of Christians who think they can ignore this book given to us by the source of love himself. And go, I got a general idea. General idea of what Jesus wants. General idea of what the kingdom is. General idea of what love is. So I'm going to go do it. No. We need to be people of the word if we're going to ever know what it means to love the way God does. Loving. We can be perfect and we should be perfect if we're Christians in the sense that we are always motivated by love, even when we get it wrong. So, how to love like God? Five quick things. First of all, see people as God sees them. See people as God sees them. How does God see people? Well, He sees them for what they are they're enemies, they're strangers. They're aliens. They're friends. They're family. He sees them that way. But he also sees them in another way. He sees them as as people that, that he wants to have a right relationship with. He wants to reconcile with. So much so that he made a way. See people that way. People in the church, people in the community, see them as God sees them. Second of all, we need to know God's word. I just talked about this. Not just general sense, but we really need to know God's word. Third, we need to understand the people that we're loving and the situation that, that's, you know, that's there. What's called for? What is the best way to love? You know what I love about what's happening at our church? And I think it's somewhat different from when I first came. I love that more and more people are asking the question of, what can we do to help the homeless around here? Instead of saying, "Eh, no, I just wish they weren't around. People have come and talked to me and said, what can we do to help? And you know what? Sometimes, you know, my answer is, I don't know. I don't know, but the fact that we're asking the question means that we're actually caring about people that God is bringing around us, and we're thinking about how do we show God's love to them, and we may get it horribly wrong, we may not do it well, but is it motivated by God's love? That's what we need to know. Every person, every situation is different. It's going to call for different expressions. We need to study them. Fourth, we need to ask God to show us how to express His love. We need to not just rely on ourselves, not just rely on patterns, not just rely on what other people are doing, but we need to pray. To say, God, how do we show your love in this situation? That has helped me in so many ways. When I get into arguments, I get into um, disputes with other people and, and, and I'm thinking it's just going to come to a head. What's always helped me is I, I stop for a second and say, okay, how, how can this be God's love? Sometimes it means just shutting up and walking away and sometimes it just means changing your tone. Sometimes it just means listening a little more. Sometimes it's just letting people know you care. You guys know I coach, and one of the things I, I tell my, my, some of my problem athletes, the ones that have a problem with authority sometimes, I tell them, you know what? None of us coaches are here to make your life miserable. We're giving our time because we want you to be your best. You can fight us, but that's what you're fighting against. We need to know We need to know, how do we show love in every situation? Sometimes it means communicating it. And then finally, show love. Show love. The way that God says, show love. If you don't have any clear guidance, take your best guess, but show love. I tell runners all the time, if you want to run faster, you have to run fast. You cannot run slow in practice all the time and think you're going to get faster. If you want to love better, you need to love more. That's what you need to do. And you're right. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to read the situation wrong. But if you're wrong while trying to express God's love in your life, that's better than doing nothing. Or doing something that's right, but it's not from love. Oh, yes, I would rather us love and never make mistakes, but that's not going to happen. We need to get in the habit of continuing to do things with the right motivation, even when we get it wrong, even when it's hard, even when people are going to get upset at us. That's how we love like God. It's how he loved us. And again, the reason we want to be perfect in this is not simply for our own fulfillment, our own self-actualization, our own ego, but it is so that the world can see God. The world can have evidence that God is who he says he is because he's given his people the ability to love God in ways that the rest of the world cannot.